Paul is taking everything that was entrusted to him and giving it all to Timothy so that he could be well-informed, well-educated, mentored, so that he could do the ministry as good as possible that God had entrusted to him. In fact, everything that he was learning from Timothy or from Paul from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 6, it was important that he learned everything that he could. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight. And having faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith, which we're going to come back to in just a moment. But he said, Timothy, it's important that you learn these things so that you can do well in ministry. And it's amazing that there are consequences to not heeding these instructions. And we're going to see those in just a moment. But in chapter 3, verses 14 and following, he says, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of the foundation of truth. So over and over, throughout each, almost every chapter, he gives at least some allusion to or some indication that he is to take everything that he's been given and take it to heart and continually to use it to help the church grow. And so I come back to this question. If it was good for Paul to teach Timothy to teach it to the church, it's probably also good that we as a church heed this same instruction, right? So he's given it to us as well, practically speaking, so that we might not be shipwrecked in our faith. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Chapter 4, verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. Once again, everything that I've taught you, Turn around and give it to those around you. Uh, He goes back in uh, verse 13 here. Same chapter. He says, Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. In other words, we talked about that several weeks ago. He says this gift that he's given to you to proclaim. Don't let it shrink back. Don't hold it, withhold it. Use it to help the church go forward. And he goes on in verse 15, practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. So over and over and over again, he says, all these things that I've taught you, these things that I've been telling you, these things that I've been laying out before you, don't forget them. Don't set them aside. Don't just pretend they're not there. He says, every one of these things you're to take to heart so that you can turn around and put them in to practice in teaching the church that you've been, that's been entrusted to you. So he goes over to chapter 6, and verse 2 he says, Let those who have believing... Uh, well, verse uh, 2. At the end of verse 2 he says, Teach and encourage these things. The very last phrase of verse 2. So over and over, just a constant reminder. And I thought to myself, why does he continuously, over and over through each chapter and several verses, and I didn't give all of them, but why does he continuously say, Remember these things. Practice these things. Command these things. All these things that Paul is telling Timothy to tell the church. Over and over, Jesus just keeps on top of it. You say after a while, I, was like, I get it. I, okay, I heard you the first four times. But he just keeps coming back and saying it. Why does he do that? Because it's important. 
And we see what happens if we don't do this. We can definitely see the importance and the urgency with which Timothy was to rightly teach these things to others. And so he really begins to give us these things uh, back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Let's look at that just one more time. 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 20 says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some having rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. So what's he saying here? If you don't heed the things that I've been saying, if you don't put them into practice, if you don't continuously remind your people that that are underneath your voice, your faith could possibly lead to shipwreck. Can I say also along with this whole text this morning, it's not a long text, it's a couple verses we're going to highlight and then we'll be done. But here's the idea. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says what? Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Isn't that an important thing to consider? He says don't walk away from church. Don't walk away from the body of Christ. And he says so much more as you see the day approaching. People have been saying for many years that we're in the last days. I really believe that maybe we are in the last days. We're seeing some crazy things happen right now in, in, in uh, prophecy and in Scripture being, being coming come to pass. Whether we are or not, he says, come together. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so the bottom line is when we don't take to heed the things that are being taught in the body of Christ, he said, it could lead to the shipwreck of your faith. When we start saying, well, it's not that big a deal. When we start saying, well, hey, I got this. No, I don't need these reminders. And, you know, things are going good. And when we just kind of say, well, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. That's why he says it every chapter over and over again. These things should be practiced in our lives. Don't get rid of them. Don't dismiss them. Don't think it's not a big deal because they are. And if you don't heed them, it will potentially lead to a shipwreck in your faith. And then he goes on again, back where we're in the final chapter, in chapter 6. In verse 9, let me read just that verse. It says, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. So he says there's another thing here. Not just to heed everything, but consider this area of our material wealth, our finances. He says, if you are quick to run to love money, he says it's the, sort of all, it's the root of all sorts of kinds of evil. And so these temptations, these traps these harmful desires, and what's to say it happens? It plunges them into ruin and destruction. So once again, he says, if you don't heed what I'm telling you concerning your attitude towards life and what you're living for, the motives behind what you do, it could once again lead to a shipwreck in your faith. And it's interesting how he uses the word shipwreck in chapter 1, and at the end of the chapter he says the word plunge. Plunge has the idea of what? Falling down under. And oftentimes we associate the word plunge with water, right? So he says, if you do not heed these things, and if you are eager to run to the wrong things, this could very well plunge you into ruin and destruction. But then he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 10, uh, so he says, for the love of money, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So not only is it potentially going to lead to a shipwreck in your faith, 
not only is it going to plunge you to ruin and destruction, but by not heeding and running towards the love of money, so it also is going to cause destruction and many griefs. They, they uh, wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So when you get down to it, I asked myself a question many times over the years. I guess pastors kind of think about these things probably more than the average. But why is it that if I were to ask the question, how many of you know people that used to be faithful in church? I mean, don't, don't you have to raise your hand, but man, you think, you can, in your mind, those of you that have grown up in church, you can think of many, 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 many people who used to be in church that are no longer in church. Person after person after person is probably going through your mind right now. And I'm not a prophet in this sense, but if I were to guess... Sometimes it comes down to this very thing. They've got their focus on the wrong things. They're committed to the wrong things. They're going the wrong direction. They have not heeded instruction. They've not been obedient to what God's Word has said, even though they know it. Most of us know far more than what we practice. Would you agree? We know what God expects of us. Right? We've grown up in church. We've read the Bible. We've heard messages from various amounts of people. We, for the most part, we know what we should be doing. That's where Andy Stanley says we live with a certain amount of measurable guilt. Because we know we should, but eh. Gotta let it go. Not that big a deal. And this is what leads to a wandering away of our faith. To the plunging, to the shipwreck. To the just going by the wayside. I think, why do people leave? For these very reasons. And that's why he said over and over, keep reminding them. Say, well, Pastor, I've heard this message a hundred times in the last two months. Right, hear it again. Stay true to the word. Stay faithful to what you know is right. Keep doing what you know is good. So, let's come down to the last couple of verses. And some of you are going to say, wow, that was a short message this morning. I'm going to give you a short message as we wrap up this series. I should be careful, that usually ends up my long ones. Things just come to mind. <laughs> no. Let's look at the last three verses. And in some of your Bibles, it will have a heading right above verse 20. And they'll say something along the lines of guarding the heritage or maintaining the heritage. But verse 20 says this, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contra contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge by professing it some people have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. So as we look at this last couple of verses here, he says, guard what has been entrusted to you. Remember who Paul and Timothy were dealing with. We didn't talk about this in the beginning of the passage a whole lot. I might have mentioned it back in the first sermon or two. But really who Paul and Timothy were dealing with were the Gnostics. And they believed some interesting things. Let me give you at least four things about the Gnostics. Number one, they believed they had a special insight and knowledge. They claimed to know more than others. Isn't that interesting? There's always a group in religious circles that claim they know more than other people. And they read into the scriptures and they get things out of the scriptures that, that no one else gets. I mean, the greatest of scholars don't even get it. But they somehow got it. There are all kinds of people who read into what I believe is not there. Um, the Word of God has a lot of things to say about numbers. 
But man, some of them can take numbers and say, what in the world? How in the world did you get that? And they'll start giving you a sequence of things that makes absolutely zero sense. They read into it because they believe they know more. So they believe they had a special spiritual insight and knowledge. They claim to know more than others. Number two thing about the Gnostics. They claim to have special dreams, visions, and experiences. Dreams, visions, and experiences. And because of those dreams, visions, and experiences, they would put them above what Jesus said. Because they knew more. They had these dreams. They had these visions, these experiences. And then, by the way, if they had them, they must be real and they must be good because they're mine. And I believe they're there. I believe they're real. I believe they're from God, so they're, they're good. Number three. They're involved in mysticism and claim to have found hidden truth. They're involved in mysticism. And then number four, they're involved in a religion that consisted of a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Jewish legalism, a little bit of experience, a little bit of dreams and emanations, and a little bit of something for everybody. A little bit of something for everybody. Here's the problem with that. God's Word is written. And so if today, in our circles, in our dealings with people, if they claim to know something that is not in this book, if they claim to have a special spiritual insight and knowledge that's not in this book, you need to be careful. Because they're out there, and they're all around us. We need to get our truth from God's Word and nowhere else. If they claim to have a, a hidden truth that God revealed to them, you need to be careful of that. I'm not saying God doesn't speak to us, but He speaks to us through His Word. He's not giving anything new today. He's not giving us the 11th commandment that nobody has heard about except for them. You know, He's not giving you a new principle of this and that that it's not found in God's Word anywhere. And by the way, anything that God does give will not contradict the written word of it, written, uh, what is written in His Word. So you need to be careful. But Gnosticism consisted of profane and vain babbling. And he gives us the idea of what that is. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But number two, Gnosticism consists of immaterial nothingness as all matter was considered to be evil. So all matter, that's right. So skin. Skin is evil because it's matter. It's something that you can touch and feel. So what does that tell you concerning their own beliefs concerning God incarnate, Jesus Christ in the flesh? He wasn't real. He was the greatest of all emanations to the Gnostics. He was the greatest picture of something immaterial that you could envision, but not necessarily real because you could touch and feel that. And you can't, anything touch that you can touch and feel is not real. That's evil. Because mankind is evil. All mankind is evil. So that's what they believed. So you put that in the context of what's taking place as Jesus walked this earth. And Paul and Timothy are saying, there's a lot, or Paul is telling Timothy, there is a lot of false teaching going around here. There are a lot of things that people are being that, that, that people are teaching and they're being taught. It's not real. So all the more you need to know what is truth. So he says, guard what has been trusted, entrusted to you. That phrase entrusted to you literally means, literally, guard the deposit. In other words, in, 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 in the picture here in the Greek language. You've been given these big bank bags full of money. I mean, there, it's a picture of... Remember the old cartoons with the big white bags with the dollar signs on them and you're carrying them around? 
That's the picture here. It means to guard the deposit. So here are these bags of money, or in other words, spiritually speaking, all these truths that you've been taught, all these principles that you're to be living by, all these things that you're to hold on to and not to slip through your hands. You're to hold it as though you're holding this, um, uh, this amount of wealth in your hands. You're to guard it. So put that into what we've been taught. Are we guarding it? Are we holding to it? Are we making sure that it's a part of who we are and what we believe? And then he says in verse 20, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. So what's irreverent? There's two different words there. There's word, the word irreverent and the word empty. The word irreverent has the idea of unhallowed or profane. Something that's profane. To avoid it. Did anybody catch what's taking place on Netflix this week? Uh, the life of gay Jesus? I kid you not. That would be profane. That would be unhallowed. The word hallow means holy. That would be unholy. And he says, avoid that junk. Don't even have anything to do with it. Man, I, I, I saw that and I thought to myself, there is a special place that's just a little bit hotter than the rest. I'm, I'm just, that's me if I were to judge. That's just me. I mean, I could be, I'm, I'm not them. But that is just, that is like a new low to me. As a new low. But the whole idea behind irreverent is unhallowed. Things that are unholy. Things that are not righteous. Things that are of the world. He says, avoid it. In fact, doesn't God's word say, avoid that which is evil and cling to that which is good? Doesn't God's word even tell us to avoid the appearance of evil? We should be getting away from these things. So Paul was first of all telling Timothy as he is closing out this instruction in 1 Timothy, avoid anything that's unholy. Avoid anything that's profane. But then he also says, not only that which is irreverent, but that which is also empty. What do you think empty means in the Greek language? Empty. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? Y'all know Greek now. It means empty. It means hollow. I mean hollow. Not, not, things of no substance. Just idle words. They mean nothing. Avoid them. In other words, he says it's just babble. It's just babbling. It's godless chatter. Godless chatter. So as you look at this, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Hold on to the riches of these truths. Keep them near and dear to you. Keep them close to your heart. Practice them. Continue to teach them. Impress them upon the people that you are ministering to. And why? So that they don't end up shipwrecked. So that they don't plunge into ruin and destruction. So that they don't end up in grief. But here's what he says. Not only that, but he says, and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. Have you noticed that we live in a world where right is, wrong is called right and wrong, right is called wrong? See, 
we've taken away the moral absolute of right and wrong. And we've come to the conclusion that right or wrong is just based off what I think it is. So if it's wrong for you, well then that's fine. It's wrong for you, but it's okay for me because it's what I believe. We have an absolute. We're not talking about opinions between Ford and Chevy. We all know Chevy's better. <laughs> We're not talking about opinions of, you know, chicken or steak. We know steak's better, right? There are just things that, when it comes down to truth, right and wrong. And so the bottom line is, he says, we're to hold on to what we know is right. By professing it, and the it is the about godless chatter, the, the babble, by holding on to that rather than what we know is truth, he says some people have departed from the faith. You see, that's why people leave the church, I believe. I've been, I guess over the last, I, I'm 47 now, I've been in church since I was four years old. I was the bus kid. And you know, this guy, I was telling somebody this week, I can't remember who it was, but we had this guy knock on our door every Saturday morning. He was driving my parents insane. And finally, mom says, fine, take them, take them all, just quit, leave us alone. So, fine, take the four-year-old too. <laughs> I was number four, riding the bus to church every Sunday. And I can remember all these things over the years. People who were in church, people who knew right from wrong, but for various circumstances chose just to walk away. And in most cases, not in every case, but in most cases, it's because they knew what was right, and they chose not to do it. I remember in my church plant, there were circumstances where somebody had offended someone else. And they came to me and they said, hey, I've got this offense, Pastor. I'm like, let me ask you a question. Is it an offense or just an irritation? Because some people have the gift of irritation. They didn't do anything biblically wrong. They just irritated the fire out of the other person. And they have that gift. They're really good at it. So I asked the question, is it an actual offense, a biblical offense, or is it just an irritation? No, it's a biblical offense. Okay, good. I'm glad we agree, because now that you agree, you have a biblical obligation to go talk to that person. Matthew 18. But no, no, stop. Are you willing to go talk to that person? 90% of the time, folks, and I'm not exaggerating, 90% of the time, God led them to another church. Because it's easier to run from a problem than to deal with it. That's what we're talking about. Because rather than heeding God's word, we're going to run from it. And oftentimes in the running, they run all together away from church. They quit. And then you hear later, well, that church, you know, it wasn't the church, it was that one individual. Go deal with that one individual. Because oftentimes it's either miscommunication or misinformation. A lot of things can be dealt with, but not if you're willing to run. So we've watched this over the years. We've watched people just leave the church. And usually it's for trivial reasons, most of the time, if we're honest. Well, so-and-so said something about me. Man, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said something about me in the last 40 years, man, I'd be building that new fellowship hall we want and gymnasium. <laughs> Debt-free. Because people talk. That's the nature of human sinful people. But when we stick to God's Word in so many areas of life, 
we could go right back to the beginning. In fact, do that. Go right back to the beginning of First Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. Right from the beginning, he says, this is important, that you teach truth. Why? Because the church needs truth. Or he says, or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Guys, don't, don't, don't believe what's not true. you got to not, you just, just dismiss that. Put it out of your mind. Don't have anything to do with it. Or these promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Oh, so there's a difference between operating by faith and operating in the flesh. Make sure you know which one you're operating in. Hmm. Oh, now the goal of our instruction is the love that lo- love is instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Those are three great things to heed in our lives, right? So over and over, this whole book. As he concludes, he says, all these things that I've taught you, you need to heed them. Because if we don't teach our people to heed them, they will lead to shipwreck of their faith. They'll plunge into destruction and ruin and multiple areas of grief. We've got to stay true to the word, folks. I don't know where you're at, but this whole book has been a challenge to me to draw closer. It's been a challenge to me as a pastor to make sure that I'm doing what I'm telling you to do. I can't give away what I don't have, right? Well, this is a great idea for you to do, but don't worry about me. You know, I, I got this, you know, you, but you do it. What kind of a guy would I be if I did that? It's been a challenge. And every one of us needs to come back to this verse in chapter 6. This is what God has for us. Guard the deposit. In other words, hold dear to it. There's not a one of us that if someone were to give you a stack full of $100 bills that you would say, hey, I'm going to stick this on the hood of my car and I'm going to walk into this store down the road here and just kind of do my own thing for a minute. Have anybody seen the bloopers with those, by the way? Where a guy has a stack of $100 bills on the front seat of his car with the window open and people are walking by on the sidewalk? Yeah, there's, there's some uh, test pranks that they do with that. And it's amazing how many people walk by and they... And all of a sudden they got hurried. I mean, they, they all of a sudden picked up jogging. Never liked it before, but they like it now. Why? Because they just found a stack of wads. And then they follow them to see what they do with it. It's amazing. You wouldn't do that, would you? Don't do it with your faith because it's far more valuable. Don't just have it. Use it. There's no sense in having stuff if you can't use it. It's just a challenge to all of us as we close. Okay, I wasn't lying to you. Two verses. Guard what has been trusted to you. Avoid irreverent and empty speech in contradiction from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. And then he closes with this. Grace be with you all. Grace. What would a church look like if we gave out grace like $100 bills? What would that look like? Isn't that a fantastic thought? Every time somebody irritates us, we don't get irritated because in our mind we say, they didn't mean to do it. 
throwing the grace card. They irritated me, but I know it was, I, I know, they didn't mean to do it, a grace card. They said so-and-so. I, I know I heard they said that, but I'm sure they didn't mean it like it came out. Grace card. What would a church look like if we just said, grace be to all of you, over and over? And we were just so filled with God's love, knowing what the grace that he's given to us. He says, grace be to you. Isn't that a great thought? If that kind of grace was being floated around in our church, in every aspect. I just challenge you as Paul challenged Timothy. Grace be to all of us. Because when we don't do it, it hurts people. And right, wrong, or otherwise, some of them will allow it to get to them and they leave. We don't want to see that. We want to see people staying faithful to the word, faithful to the truth, faithful to God's body. Let's pray.